1: Uh, a presentation every week on different topics that we treat and we share with you research we share with you our results uh, occasionally our failures mm-hmm. <laughs> and and whatever we can do to help you get a better grip on on uh, your situation and sometimes even things that will help you uh, this is uh, our first of the month Answering questions session and the questions this month. uh, We went over them last night are pretty good they they show a lot of thought and uh, so I'm going to start into these. I'm just going to read the questions and then uh, We'll answer them as as it hits us as to who should answer them or or What we want to contribute. So the first one uh, What can we do to calm our fight or flight in our brains? I grew up with a horrific childhood abuse as well as a multitude of abusive relationships. So yes, my brain has a broken brake pedal. So somebody's been listening (laughs) (laughs) to us for sure. Uh, I have done meditation, sound therapies, and doing things that truly excite me like anything pertaining to water. I assume that's like water sports and swimming. I have to enjoy, I also enjoy ASMR.
0: I'm not sure what that Maybe is. E- maybe EMDR? That's kind of what I was thinking, but I wasn't sure.
1: Okay, maybe, okay. We have ASMR, neither one of us know what that is. EMDR might make sense. EMDR is the mm-hmm. type of relaxation technique uh, um, that is used. Um, and do you have any suggestions? I'm gonna go right to you with that. We had this conversation briefly the other day mm-hmm. when uh, we talked about it, the, the stress response is key. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get the stress response under control. It's hard to get anybody better. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you have somebody who's got the emotionally traumatic fight flight engaged response, and uh, and that's what the that's what the board functional certified board uh, functional
0: board chiropractic, certified, chiropractic neurologist
1: neurologists, uh, that's one of their uh, forte's, and that's it's one of the biggest reasons that. I think we get some consistently decent results with what we do. Mm-hmm. So I'll let you take that one. I had some thoughts on it, but
0: And I think this person is probably looking for kind of a quick solution. Would you agree? say what you say? So uh, yeah, maybe I would say that. I mean I think that's what you're looking for, and I don't fault you for that. That's kind of what we do and through our entire process over four and a half to six months, in terms of actually finding the areas of your frontal lobe that are weak that we're trying to stimulate back to life. You can think of it that way so we can shut off the fear center. Also, we use certain herbs and botanicals and supplements that help to calm down that fear center. Now, that being said, I believe this person mentioned meditation, right? They did. And that meditation wasn't working?
1: He implies that. I have done meditation, sound therapies, and doing things that truly excite me like anything. the question is, what can we do to calm our fight flight in our brains?
0: I think the easiest solution that's out there would be meditation. But as we've heard from time and time again is that individuals who come in with these issues can't meditate because they can't shut their brain off. So that's the conundrum and it's very frustrating. One thought is that you just need to meditate longer. Other possibilities include um, doing like incantations, saying things to yourself over and over and over. That can be relaxing as well as breathing exercises. Those can be relaxing. That would be my take on it. Okay. Yeah. So I
1: meditate, and it's not easy. (laughs) So I would, I would just say, and just not being combative here or anything, but I would just say that it is the probably the most effective of all of those tools if you can do it, as Dr. Gates said, and uh, and and it's difficult when your brain's going a million miles an hour. We interview people on this all the time. I do breathing techniques uh doctor uh and 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 they seem to help me a lot and and some of it's just your philosophies on on life right now um uh, we're going to talk about uh sleep next week you know there's so many things that keep your brain going like doing too many computers watching your tvs all that type of stuff so really those those on the other end it's like you before you can calm your brain down, it's nice to not keep revving it up. So uh, it, certainly the cell phones, watching television before bed, being on your cell phones too much, they're showing now that it's one of the biggest causes of insomnia. <clears throat> um, but the point I wanted to make after saying all that is this, all the patients, come, we were talking about this last night too, all the patients coming in here are, are already doing all that. So if, and, and a lot of those people are getting better. Okay, so, no, well, I'll take that back. Obviously they're not getting better or they, or they wouldn't come in here. So the, so, the conversation was supposed to go like this. There's a lot of people that used to come in here that don't come in because we do things like this. There's things all over the internet. They get off of gluten, they do some breathing exercises, they do meditation, and it's a miracle. There are gradients of severity, okay? And and those people now don't show up in here because they used to be EC, they'd come in, we take them off of gluten, give them some breathing exercise, do some brain rehab, and it'd be like a miracle. They're like, do I still have to do the rest of my program? <laughs> we don't get those anymore. All right, and so the reason is because the higher gradient is usually the person who's gonna write this question. And that's the person who is going to not be able to meditate. Or this is, I, I use the term, this is like peeing on a forest fire for the person who is in like Post-traumatic stress syndrome, fight-flight, which is pretty much who shows up in here, and which is pretty much the person who does meditation, sound therapies, and so. Like Dr. Gates is saying, these, if you've tried these, and it sounds like you've genuinely tried these and they're not working, that's why. um, And EMDR again, I, I don't know, is it kind of a, is that kind of would you, would you say it's kind of a modification of the brain rehab exercises? Simplification.
0: EMDR came about. It was invented by a psychologist who right. then did an ocular pursuit exercise, and she right. noticed immediately that she felt more calm. Right. And so then she combined eye movements with psychotherapy.
1: Right, and that's, that's a it, uh, and about. that's kind of a mini version of what the, the, right. the, the functional an, neurologist. We would to, say it's
0: non-specific relative very, to the eye movements, not the psychotherapy, but relative to the eye movements. Right.
1: So in the end. No, not sound like uh, some sort of a used car salesman here, but in the end, we've we have tried and and, and experimented with different things, and and even us in the first couple of years, we experimented. It came down to the brain. We mm-hmm. st- stood there in the front in the front room in our consultation room, and I said, "It's the brain, right? It's just the brain." And Dr. Mm-hmm. Gatesman, <laughs> and that's been our, that was our breakthrough. Mm-hmm. So it's more the, you need for, if all of these things are not working, the brain rehab works better uh, much better because it's it's more specific it it and and really the magic is in being able to evaluate the vein the brain precisely and 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 being able to give exercises that are very specific and thus very powerful so so all these things work but there is not a silver bullet out there for those people who've tried this many things and their brain's still going
0: and what I remember in that we were hitting the brain when I first got here, you guys were already hitting the brain. Right. I came in, the brain was my focus. And then, we were we, very non-specific. then we went back into yes. the functional medicine world. Then we've come back to the brain. Yes. Because the brain with that stress response is the thing. It's, it's the yeah. core.
1: So can you be born? Next question. Can you be born with fibromyalgia? I believe I was. The pain, the muscle pain and tiredness, I have had as long as I can remember each trauma I endured. There were many I felt worse.
0: Can you read that again?
1: Can you be born with fibromyalgia?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe I was. The muscle pain and tiredness I've had for as long as I can remember. Each trauma I endured, and there were many if I felt
0: worse. Yeah, we've seen patients like that, for We sure. are now
1: seeing patients coming in with... Who, we had one come in the other day who was born with uh, Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. And and that's a core... that In our world, that's a core piece of, of fibromyalgia. Um, we've had, we're having more and more patients come in with... Um, I've had this pain all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have had antibiotics early on, screwed up their gut, and that and, and that was where it started. And you, know, you could have antibiotics, how, how young, when you have a ear infection. Mm-hmm. You know? So uh, that can cause it. They're now showing that stress hormones cross the placenta, mm-hmm. and so kids can come out stressed. That's a component of fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. So I, I well, and we're finding that there
0: could be genetic <laughs> predispositions for not breaking down stress hormones. We see that. See We've seen, like Dr. Ruther is saying, autoimmune problems early in life. You combine that with PTSD and a genetic issue in breaking down stress hormones, and yeah, that can lead to fibromyalgia at an early age. And so it, we have seen that.
1: Yeah, and it's a relatively new phenomenon. We had a patient come in yesterday with an autistic spectrum young man, and we were talking about how um we were doing a lot of that when you got into When I was a kid, there were... Autism almost didn't exist. So also people being born with these issues are, um, yeah, we're starting to see it. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say, yeah, we're starting to see it. And we're starting to see very, very, very sick people at very, very, very young ages. Does fibromyalgia run in families?
0: It can because of the association with Hashimoto's. And so Hashimoto's has a strong genetic association. And now that we know that a huge percentage of fibromyalgia patients have Hashimoto's and Hashimoto's accounts for a lot of the symptoms that fibro patients experience. And yes, you yeah, can't run in I would,
1: Yes. So, and, and that's what something we saw early on mm-hmm. when we started seeing fibro patients. And then we started seeing the patterns of thyroid. And it's like, and now it's something crazy. Like if the, if the mom has Hashimoto's, it's like, and she's got a mother and a sister and a daughter, like one or two of them are going to get Hashimoto's?
0: Something. Uh, it's about a 50% association. Right. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. So,
1: so can, all right, next question. Can taking antihistamines help in the case where a patient has Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, as well as gluten intolerance? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a you question. That's a, that's a case management question. It's I have like not found
0: it to really be that effective, though. We've used right. a lot of natural antihistamines. Haven't seen the effect that I was hoping to have. We get it. Everybody's on the low histamine kick right now, the DAO kick. We've tried it. I'm not seeing the results I wanted to with the supplementation for the DAO. With our patient population. With our patient population. We do the antihistamine diets, low histamine diets. Those can be of some benefit, but... um, it's not the main issue. Usually there's something else causing it. Maybe right. you have a parasite. Maybe you still have a lot of stress going on in your life. Those seem to be the factors that are perpetuating it.
1: I, I, excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And again, this comes from Dr. Gates' experience. He's out there on, on, the, on the front lines right now treating and, uh, and continuing to probe with different, uh, with different uh, approaches and staying abreast of all the... The ketogenic diet's now out. The histamine diet's mm-hmm. now out. It's always something. and uh, We can get into that on a talk at, at some point in time as to how that uh, evolves so. and how confusing it can be for the patients who are desperately searching online for the next thing that might be the silver bullet. I just want to clarify. So this is the next question. I just want to clarify. I have hypothyroidism, okay, but I don't have high antibodies. Can you still have Hashimoto's and not have uh, antibodies?
0: The answer is is that there is an entity called seronegative Hashimoto's. The way we test for Hashimoto's is through a B cell response. That's an antibody response. But Hashimoto's is primarily a T cell response. But we don't have a good, easy lab test for that T cell response. You've heard B and T cells most likely. You know, T cells are affected with HIV. B cells are associated with antibodies immune missiles to the thyroid. Well, if you have an imbalance in your immune system where you have a proclivity not to make as many immune cells generally like those immune missiles, then you can still have Hashimoto's but usually they have to confirm it via fine needle aspiration or minor surgery to look at the tissue under a microscope to look for the chronic lymphocytic thyroiditis, which is technically what Hashimoto's is called. So the answer is yes.
1: Yeah. Hashimoto's is highly complex I mean you can have Hashimoto's antibodies for years and not have any symptoms and and no of course nobody would look for the antibodies except somebody who wanted to find that out at some point in time and then you can have symptoms and have a normal test and they can test the next day and the test will come up that you have antibodies and to to extend that out a little bit actually I think that might be a uh, question here well, if it is a question, we'll answer it. You, can, you can't really completely evaluate whether the patient's getting better or how serious the case is by the number of antibodies that they have. Mm-hmm. So it can be really confusing if, you don't re- if you're not really steeped in the full uh, breadth of, of, of understanding of, of, of the Hashimoto's condition, which is why a lot of people are flailing out there who have Hashimoto's with, with their endocrinologists right now. So, okay. Hi guys, thank you for this video. Very informative, I have a question. I've had hashi for 20 years and I've been gluten-free, and here's the question. I've been gluten-free, dairy-free, and soy-free for three years now and my antibodies did not change. Should have saved that. Surely that means it's safe for me to reintroduce small amounts of gluten now. I guess you know what my response is (laughs) based on that. What's your take on this? Since he has to deal with this on, an, on a more regular basis than he'd like to admit, <laughs> why don't you answer that?
0: <laughs> Well, first of all, those aren't the only three foods that cause problems for Hashimoto's patients in our experience. Number two, that's one piece of the puzzle. You're looking at it from a food immune reactivity standpoint, not necessarily the multifactorial aspect of Hashimoto's. So. That's where if your immune system is still overactive against your gut because you still have bacterial imbalances, and just because you took probiotics doesn't mean that you fixed your bacterial imbalance in there, then that can keep the immune assault going at your GI tract. Well, like we've talked about in other broadcasts, a huge percentage of Hashimoto's patients have viral infections living in their thyroid gland. And so you may still have a viral infection in here, which is precipitating all the antibodies to the thyroid gland, and that's why they haven't changed. Also, thyroid antibodies are not a disease activity marker. There is some research now showing that you can drop them with these types of protocols, certain vitamin supplementation protocols, things like that. But looking at how you feel lots of times is one of the better indicators of what's going on with your overall system and our experience. Because it's it's just an imperfect model. It's like with rheumatoid arthritis. The way you diagnose it is with the CCP antibody, but the CCP antibody is not considered the disease activity marker. So something that your doctor can say, oh, well now your CCP antibodies are down, so that means you're better. It doesn't work that way. So that's our take on it. So surely that means it's
1: safe for me to reintroduce small amounts of gluten now.
0: Well, I, I go back to the Fasano study in 2015. The answer's no. Yeah, <laughs> They basically showed that if you expose the intestines to gluten, even if you're normal, gluten is a toxin for the intestines. It causes leaky gut. Broke down the gut within what? Four
1: hours? Something like that. Two to four hours, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So, no, listen, nothing's changed. Even my mentor years and years and years ago said, you know, gluten, just no, that's it. You have a patient, they're done with it. Um, I wasn't too sure about that at that point in time. I'm pretty sure about it now attended a class last year, just kind of a re-update, see what people were teaching. Uh, the guy started the whole seminar off with, just remember, gluten is evil, <laughs> and, uh, and, mm. and on and on and on. So no, no, you, you want to stay away from it, and, and gluten is another whole subject that, that is uh, very, very comprehensive, and, and, uh, and so no, 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 don't eat gluten again. I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's, and I have hives. Is this common with Hashimoto's?
0: I would say we've seen it. Is it common? No. No. But I have seen patients with urticaria who have Hashimoto's. So, but the commonality is maybe the autoimmunity? The autoimmunity and just immune dysfunction, something's causing your IgE, hypersensitivity responses, mast cell degranulation to be occurring. In our experience, a lot of association between urticaria and parasites. Yeah, your your experience. skin
1: is a is an extension, or your of your intestines, or I, mean, I don't know if they're even an extension of each other. They're basically all one mass that kind of involutes inside, so that you know we can digest and all kinds of wonderful things happen there. But a lot of these skin problems, these skin problems, if it's not a direct hit, if it's not a uh, like a, like a like a bug bite or something like that, or, or it's it's going to come from that common area in your intestines, and, and, uh, and this is one of them. Your 70% of your immune system is in the intestines. and So occasionally,
0: we've seen, we okay, don't see a lot yeah. of it. Chronic stress seems to be associated with urticaria. That's what I have yeah. too.
1: So what is the difference between chronic fatigue? Oh, this is perfect, I had one of these yesterday. What is the difference between chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia?
0: Well, fibromyalgia involves pain, and multiple areas of the body that's chronic, that's widespread, commonly associated with chronic fatigue and insomnia and brain fog. Whereas chronic fatigue doesn't really involve the pain component, but it mainly is the fatigue, the brain fog, um, basically those symptoms. Can be associated with depression. Lots of times chronic fatigue patients will say, well, I'm depressed because I'm fatigued. You know, and the general practitioner say, no, you're fatigued because you're depressed. It goes back and forth. But that's the dichotomy, chronic fatigue, no systemic pain, fibromyalgia, systemic pain. That's unrelenting.
1: And, and, be, and then beyond that, there's a lot of crossover. That might be the confusion. Mm-hmm. Like the gentleman who connected Epstein-Barr virus, which was the first thing that CFITs, chronic fatigue immunodeficiency syndrome was I mm-hmm. think the first term. And we're here in Reno. This gentleman lives up in Incline Village. He made the connection between Epstein-Barr virus and chronic fatigue. But a lot of those people came in uh, back in the 90s. I remember when I was doing more chiropractic and they were sore, mm-hmm. but they hadn't been called fibromyalgia yet. And then, uh, and then eventually it was found that the Epstein-Barr virus contributes to chronic fatigue by damaging the thyroid, by attacking the thyroid as Dr. Gates mentioned earlier. And you know, so the, the confusion is there's a lot of commonalities uh, and, and really, they're almost one and the same. Basin comes in uh, with fibromyalgia, but then there's that distinct difference in treatment relative to the pain and mm-hmm. and the things that Dr. Gates just said. So that's the confusion. There's, there's this basic commonality, and then there's this part where the two of them divert. So. Right.
0: Um,
1: okay, that is, that's the questions that we have for this month. All excellent questions. It makes me feel good that we're mm-hmm. getting questions like this. These are insightful questions. They're from people who seem like you've um, really investigated, trying to help yourself. Um, these are just really some some good questions, and and they're fun to answer. So so this is important. You want to know how to get better. Now there's going to be some nuggets in here that are going to help some of you. There's going to be some of you are like you know throwing spitballs <laughs> at your at your screen, going, wow, this guy's like an idiot, but. I'm telling you, these are the basics of how to get better. And if you bypass these, plus the ones we're gonna be talking about over the next week or two, you're gonna have a hard time getting better at all. And if you get better, you're gonna be the person who has to keep doing it over and over and over again, because there are things that are Sabbath. So wrap up this week's presentation, and, and um, I'm here to educate you. We're here to try to answer the questions that we've had over the last you know, six or seven years or eight years or whatever it's been. And, um, and so please do that. So until next week, uh, I hope you- uh, if, you're, if you're enjoying this, then, then, you know, please don't miss next week. Next week is kind of a big, big deal in most people's uh, uh, journey to wellness. So Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you for watching again and uh, take care.